Turn in your Bible with me to uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4. I want to preach a message this morning that is partially for you and partially for the atmosphere, uh, partially for uh, this city. People that are not hearing, but I know this, that that the kingdom of darkness is listening this morning, and we're going to speak to the kingdom of darkness. And we're going to speak uh, a word that I believe is, is going to touch, touch a nerve in the spirit this morning. So pray with me for a moment. Father, I thank you that you are here today. I thank you for the anointing that is, that is here. God, as Brianna was leading us in worship, and, and you just began to draw people into your presence God, I thank you for when people leave here, they, they won't say, uh, what, a, what a great sermon, what a great this or that, but they will say, isn't our God great? Isn't God amazing? God, it's our desire that every person that come, whether it's their first time or whether they've been coming for decades, that they will encounter your presence when they are here. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Praise God. I feel led to share a story right before I preach this morning. And, and that is, uh, it has to do with the church that I was a part of in Galesburg before I came here. I was the assistant pastor. There was a move of God that was happening that was undeniable. We had, we had people uh, healed um, that, of, of just crazy stuff. People that had been crippled for uh, more than a decade, one, one in particular, more than a decade, um, was, was healed instantaneously and uh, started dancing around the room one night. God was moving powerfully. We were watching him move. And so uh, I, began, I began to do some research. This was nine years in. I was there for 15 years. And when, when I had been there for nine years, um, I began to do some research wondering how many people have come to this church since I've been here over the last nine years. We, we kept track on Sunday mornings. We did not keep track on uh, special services, Sunday nights, uh, special services, only Sunday mornings. And we found out that in nine years in, in our church in Galesburg, Illinois, we had had over 5,000 people come through on Sunday mornings. 5,000 different people. That's pretty awesome. Yet our church grew from about 140 to about 240, which, you know, was a good strong number. I, w- I, would, love, uh, I would love to see that, amen? Our church grew from about 140 to 240, but I began to ask the Lord, God, why... Why was it that 5,000 different people came through the church, but only 100 or so? There was a few more than that because we did have some move away uh, and things. And so maybe, maybe 120. 5,000 people came through the church, but only 120 stayed. God, we're having a great move of God and in every service that we have, the presence of the Lord comes and these mighty things take place. And I began to ask the question, well, why don't people stay? If we had 100 
5% of the 5,000 stay, we would be nationally known. Not that that's the goal, but we would have 5,000 people in, in our town of, of 33,000. That, that's pretty good. And I began to ask questions. And I began to pay attention. And when people would come to our church, they would say, God is in this place. And the Lord would touch them and they would say, I'm coming back next week. And they would come back next week and they would say, God is in this place. And they would come back the next week and they would say, God is in this place. But does anybody know that I'm here? And then the the fourth week, they would come Oftentimes they would come three, four, five weeks, and the last week they would come, they would say, you know what, I'm going to come here when I need to be touched by God, when I need to be refreshed, but I need fellowship. And so we begin to repent of Breaking the second commandment. The first commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And and the, the attributes of our service that had to do with loving God, we had down pretty good. Our worship was was powerful. The, the altar time was amazing. And the the vertical relationship that God calls us all to was, was wonderful. But the horizontal relationship, Jesus came to build his church. And he fits us and knits us together. Hallelujah. And so you are a block, a a piece. When Amy gave her testimony, she received an invitation. And what God did was was fitted her together in this body. and, And as a result of the ministry of the Lord, as the ministry of the people, as her friendships and relationships developed, God began to transform her life. God is concerned about your vertical relationship with Him. He is also concerned about us knowing one another and walking in relationship with one another. Can someone say amen? And so we, we've, got to, we've got to, this is why we do connect groups, because it's important for us to get to know one another. Amen? Praise God. Get to know one another. Okay, that had nothing to do with my message. But I felt like I need to share that. God does not intend for you to live this Christian life alone. He wants you to live it with other people. This is the, the awesome the awesome characteristic of the church. And Paul says it over and over and over again. Love one another. Serve one another. Bear one another's burdens. Pray for one another. Amen? Amen. We need each other. Okay. 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 12. 1 Timothy 4, 12. Let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers 
in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, doctrine. Do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by the prophecy, by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the eldership. Thank you, Lord, for your anointing on this word this morning. Let no one despise your youth. In the Mishnah, I'm going to lay some groundwork before I really get to the meat of of what I want to say. In the Mishnah, anybody ever heard of the Mishnah? You've heard of it, but you don't know what it is. The Mishnah was the oral interpretation of the law at the time of Christ. So this was a Jewish, uh, Jewish reference, and it really helped them to, to bring definition to what laws meant. And in that Mishnah, this will help you understand some Jewish culture. It says this, At five years old, one is fit for the scripture. At ten years, the oral interpretations. At thirteen years, for the fulfilling of the commandments. At fifteen, the Talmud, which is coming under a rabbi. At eighteen, the bride chamber. They're ready to be married at 18, which that's how old my wife was when we were married. At 20, pursuing a vocation. At 30, for authority. That's when Jesus started his ministry, at 30. And so this was the the structure of a young person growing up in Israel and expectations and so forth. And very, very, very different, and yet I also see some similarities to our own culture. We see in the Gospels that the disciples, when they were chosen, were not older. The disciples, when they were chosen to be, a, to, to be under the rabbi Jesus, were youth. Most of them were not married. In fact, we only have record of one disciple in the Bible being married, and his name was Peter. So Peter, we know, was over 18. He was probably in his young 20s. None of the others were married yet. They were not chosen to be under other rabbis. At 15, their education ended, and they either went into training with their own father, most of them, uh, to, take up the, the, uh, to take up the work that their father took up to be an apprentice of their, of their families into the family business, Or, if they were incredibly uh, astute as students, or if they were wealthy, some of them bought their way in 
uh, to, to having rabbis choose their children. Uh, at 15, they would become one that was under a rabbi. And so when Jesus chose the disciples, four of them we know, at least, were under apprenticeship of their father. They were in the fishing business under their father. Peter, his brother Andrew, James, and his brother John, the two families were probably in business together, and the four young men in apprenticeship together. Anywhere from the ages of 15 to 22, 23 years old, Peter being the only one that was married. Sometimes when we picture the disciples... We picture them as, as older people. But they were not older people. They were young people. John, who wrote the book of Revelation, did so in A.D. 95 at the very end of his life when he was imprisoned on the island of Patmos. He was a senior citizen at that point. That was 60 years after the ministry of Jesus. How young did John have to be when he was chosen as a disciple and in fact the beloved disciple that he called himself the most beloved disciple of them all, he thought. John was a young, young, young man. And Jesus entrusted his work to young people. Saul when he became a, a, a student of Gamaliel, under the rabbi, he was from Tarsus. His family was very wealthy. They moved from Tarsus to Jerusalem so that Saul could train under the famous rabbi Gamaliel. And that's who Saul trained under. When he met Jesus on the road to Damascus, he was probably in his, in his mid to upper 20s. A young man. When I began pastoring, senior pastor of a church, I shook that church pretty strongly. I was 22 years old. I made a lot of mistakes. My wife will tell you I made a lot of mistakes. But we trusted in God. And despite those mistakes, the church increased from 30 to 60 in three years. And I say praise God for that. We even had about four months of revival where there was great outbreak, people delivered from demons, and we had 30 people come to Christ in that short amount of time. I was 22 to 25 years old at that point. I gave my life to Jesus when I was 13. And... I have made a lot of mistakes. I, I have sinned a lot. I'm, when I make this statement, I'm not talking about perfection, and I'm not talking about the lack of, of shortcoming. But from the time I gave my life to Jesus when I was 13 years old, I did not look to the right or to the left. I followed him every day of my life. I don't say that to pat myself on the back. I say that to say this that God can keep a generation. 
He can keep a child that gives their life to Christ. He can, he can keep young people. They don't have to walk through seasons of rebellion. Hallelujah. They don't have to be succumbed to the spirit of this age and the spirit of this world. Hallelujah. Mom and dad, raise your kids in the fear of the Lord because they don't have to turn to the right or to the left. They can keep their eyes straight fastened on Jesus. When Jesus gave the authority to the disciples in Mark chapter 6 to drive out demons and sent them out two by two, he was sending out teenagers and men in their young 20s. And they shook the world. And they came back and they said, even the demons submit to us. They walked in authority. When Jesus multiplied the loaves and the fishes, in the hands of the disciples. That's where the miracle took place. In the hands of the disciples, as they distributed, God kept filling the basket. That was happening through young people. Oh, praise God. When, when uh, Peter stood up to preach in Acts chapter 2, after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, he might have been 22, 23, 25 years old. He was a young, young man. And when Saul was persecuting churches, he was 27 or 28 years old. Timothy, when he became the student of Paul, was a teenager. And by the time he was in his early to mid-20s, he was pastor of the church at Ephesus. And Paul is writing Timothy, the passage that we just read, don't let people despise you or look down upon you because you are young but set an example for the believers in all of these things. Don't let your youth get in the way and don't let people despise you because you are young, but you run after Jesus with all of your heart. Hallelujah. That's what he was telling him. There is an assignment on the young people from the pits of hell in our generation. There is an assignment to steal them before they ever have a chance to walk with God. I'm preaching today to us, but I'm also preaching into the atmosphere because I'm believing for, I'm believing for an awakening amongst the young people of Logan County. Hallelujah. I'm believing for an awakening amongst the young people for Menard County where we have a church in Petersburg. I'm believing that the next great move of God is not going to happen in only seniors that, that were a part of the Jesus movement, but it is going to grip our young people again. Oh, praise the Lord. And we, so here's my first point. I'm going to start getting to my points this morning. Number one, we have a responsibility to the next generation. We have a responsibility to invest in the next generation. How many of you are younger than 30? Lift up your hand right now. You're younger than 30. Uh, we've got uh, one, a couple in the room. We've got our kids in the back. We've got people up here in the front. Uh, this is the next generation. Hallelujah. And God's hand is on your life. We have a responsibility to the next generation. If you're taking notes, write these scriptures down as I read them. Psalm 78 verse 4. 
We will not hide what God has done from our children. We will tell the generation to come the praises of of the Lord and His strength and His wonderful works that He has done. Thank you, Lord. Exodus 13, verse 8. And you shall tell your son on the day that he asks, saying, we do this because of what the Lord did for me when I came up out of Egypt. Thank you, Jesus. Exodus 13, 14. So it shall be when your son asks you in that time to come, saying, what is this that you shall say to him, by the strength of hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thank you, Lord. There comes a time, you know, you, you bring your kids to church, and you, bring, you just bring them, you just bring them, and they're like, oh, I don't want to, but you don't, you don't give them a choice. They just come, and I thank God for parents that will bring their kids to church, amen? But there comes a time where they ask, why? Why do we go to church on Sunday morning? And when they ask why, oh, that's your, that's, your, that's your moment when you can say, you know what? Because I was lost. I was, I, I was in Egypt. And God saved me. He brought me out of Egypt. And I am living for him. And he has said, hey, Sunday is the Lord's day. It's the day that Jesus came out of the tomb. It's the day they gathered together for worship on, uh, on, on Sunday. It's the day they gathered together for worship every week in the New Testament church. And it's the day we gather together for worship because of what God has done in my life. Hallelujah. That's why Amy's testimony is so powerful. It hasn't just affected her. It's affected her daughter. It's affected her son. It's affected the trajectory of their entire family. Two weeks ago, Derek was was at Camp Ability, and his life was touched and changed. By the way, he he got connected to Bob at Camp Ability, and Bob's preaching in Petersburg today. So he said, I'm going to be in Petersburg with Bob, where we've got like a dozen people. I, was, I kept hearing of all the people that were going to Petersburg with Bob. And I thought, who's going to stay in Lincoln with Darren? <laughs> uh, but his life is forever changed because of her faithfulness to the Lord. I'm going to skip some of the verses for the sake of time this morning. But friends... We have a a responsibility to pray for the next generation. We have a responsibility to speak into the next generation. We have a responsibility to invest in the next generation. I loved it when Sister Sablotny was a part of our church. If you did not have the privilege of knowing her, she she ended her uh, church journey. In fact, she got saved in power in 1935 and... Uh, she, she got saved because she went to a meeting to make fun of the Christians. And at that meeting, a man that was all crippled up uh, like this in a wheelchair, God put flesh on his bones and he rose up out of the wheelchair. And she said, I guess there is something to this. And, and as, a, a, as a young married teenager, she gave her life to Jesus in 1935. She started attending. There was, a, there was a new church plant back then in 1935 named Faith Assembly of God. And she began to go to Faith Assembly of God for the first five years of her Christianity. And she told me what, it, that's this church. We, we, 
since transitioned the name to Faith Church, she told me what it was like to attend church in this church in 1935. Isn't that amazing? Well, she had a whole journey of life, and at the very end, the last uh, four years of her life, the Lord brought her full circle. God connected me to her. I met her when she was 98, and the Lord uh, spoke to her and said, and said, Lois, you are going to finish your journey where you began it at Faith Assembly of God. And so she spent the last four years of her journey here, and when she was 100, she, she sat on this platform and she preached the gospel at 100 years old. She would come in the back door in her high heels, and, uh, and, and she, would, she did not like it if you assisted her in, and uh, she would walk and she sat right in the back of the sanctuary right over here. She was 100. Do you think that she preferred our style of music? She did not. But twice, my son, Jeremy, was our drummer at that time. And twice she approached him with tears in her eyes. And she said, Jeremy, I love watching you worship. There's such a genuineness, and the presence of God is on you when you play those drums. And she said, keep playing those drums. She's 100 years old. Do you know what she's doing? She's investing in the next generation. We have a responsibility to impart into the next generation. The enemy's plan has always been and always will be to stifle the kingdom of God by stealing the soul of the next generation. Let me read one of the saddest scriptures in the Bible. I'm going to get to the good part in a moment. Let me read one of the saddest scriptures in the Bible in Judges chapter 2. So the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the Lord which he had done for Israel. Now Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died when he was 110 years old, and they buried him within the border of his inheritance at Timnah-Hereth in the mountains of Ephraim on the north side of, of Mount Gash. And when all that generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord nor the work which he had done for Israel." And then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And they forsook the Lord God of their fathers who had brought them up out of the land of Egypt. And they followed other gods from among the gods of the people who were all around them. And they bowed down to them and they provoked the Lord to anger. The enemy's 
plan in Israel's day was to stifle the the nation of Israel, the chosen people of God, by stealing the, the heart and the soul of the next generation. It did not pass from one generation to the next. And then the nation erupted in chaos as a result. Is this reminding you of any other nation on the earth? This is what's happening in America right now. This is what's happening in our beloved United States of America. There have been those that have been raised that understood the power of God, that understood the the need for relationship with Him. But there is a generation that's coming up that said that, that, that says things like this, oh, that's the God of my mom and dad. Oh, that's the God of my grandpa. But they do not know the Lord for themselves. When Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, this is an awesome passage. It says this, Paul says, I am filled with joy. He actually said that in verse 4. But I am filled with joy when I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, Timothy, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is now in you also. Oh, isn't that incredible? It started with grandma. It went down to mom. And then it got into Timothy. And I believe every generation was a step up. That they, that they, that they moved closer and closer to the Lord. That's the way that God's intended it to happen. Praise God. That, that not only am I going to serve the Lord, but the generation after me is going to serve the Lord. And the generation after them is going to serve the Lord. And, and generation after generation, we serve Him. Praise God. But the enemy wants to interrupt that. The reason the enemy fights so hard for this generation is because the plan of God and the calling of God is so strong on this generation. We can easily speak of all the things we don't like. We can easily speak of the parts of the culture of this next generation that we don't like. But friends, God's hand is on this generation. Thank you, Lord. This next generation is the hope of the church. It's the hope of, it's the, hope of the nation. It's the hope of America. The enemy's after it. Jeremiah 31, 15 was a prophecy of what happened in the generation of Jesus uh, when Herod put all the kids to death. The, the prophecy was about this. A voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted for her children because they are no more. The enemy was after the generation of Jesus, all the children. And he's after the generation today. Number three, young people face pressures today that you and I never had to face. I cannot imagine knowing the world 
which I grew up in, I cannot imagine growing up in the world today. It's starkly different. The agendas of darkness are pervasive on every level. To be a righteous young man or woman in my generation was hard enough. But to be a righteous young man or woman in this generation takes courage. It takes something more. Paul's command to Timothy to flee useful lusts in 2 Timothy 2.22. It's never been more difficult than right now in the, young, in the world that our young people are growing up in. It's incredibly difficult. But what is impossible with man is possible with God. Hallelujah. When this generation gets a hold of God and when God gets a hold of them, the power of darkness will move forward and, and the kingdom of darkness will fall. And we will see the next generation arise in the things of God. Thank you, Jesus. Somebody ought to clap their hands and shout for joy at that uh, proclamation right there. Thank you, Jesus. When an older person gives their life to Christ, all of heaven celebrates just the same. But when an older person gives their life to Christ, they are giving half of their life or a quarter of their life. They've already lived the first half in the kingdom of darkness. But when a young person gives their life to Jesus... It is not just a portion of their life, but they have the opportunity to lay their entire life down for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. It's imperative that we win the next generation to the Lord. I love what our elders said in our last meeting. They said, we've got to believe God to move amongst our young people. We need to be replaced. Isn't that you that said that, Gary? And not that, not, that you, not that you lose your place, but your role changes as you get older. Your role changes. And the baton gets handed off to the next generation that's serving God. That's your joy. That's your victory. Hallelujah. And yet church after church after church, there are, now praise God, there are exceptions. I know of a lot of churches where God is moving in a lot of generations, but there are many, many, many pastors that, that are saying, you know what, we, we, we don't have any from the next generation in our church. In our church. What are we going to do? God is about to raise up the Joshua generation. And I, I want to speak to this right here, the Joshua generation. The Joshua generation. The Joshua generation is a generation of warriors. In Exodus chapter 17, the first mention of, of Joshua in the Old Testament. Has everybody heard of Joshua? 
Joshua in, in the Old Testament, uh, in fact, his, his name means the same. In fact, it's the Jewish name for the New Testament form of Jesus. It's the same name. It means the Lord saves. And so Yeshua is the Hebrew way to say it, is Joshua in the Old Testament. In, in, the, in the Greek, uh, it's, it's a little, little bit different. We call him Jesus. So Joshua was a type, a, a person that represented, uh, unknowingly, he represented Christ in the New Testament. And God raised up Joshua in the Old Testament, and there's some keys that we can discover from his life. And the first one was this, Joshua was a warrior. And the first mention of Joshua is in Exodus chapter 17. I preached a message on Amalek a couple of weeks ago. And Joshua, what we see here is that he's in the valley fighting Amalek. He was raised up as a young warrior, and Moses gave him an army and said, I want you to go to the valley, and I want you to fight Amalek, and me and Aaron and her, we're going up on the mountain, and we're going to pray. Hallelujah. And so you have one generation up on the mountain lifting up their hands and covering the next generation that's in the valley who are, who are doing the fighting and the battling, and as those two generations are working together, Amalek, the enemy, is defeated. Hallelujah. That's the responsibility of, of one generation to the other. But it's the generation of a warrior. Joshua was a man of war, even as a young person. Hallelujah. Secondly, jo the Joshua generation is the generation that gets to know God. Gets to know God. This is the potential of the next generation. Uh, did, did you know that when Moses went up the mountain to get the Ten Commandments, did you know that Joshua was on the mountain with him? Joshua was there. In fact, uh, Moses said to the elders, uh, he said to the elders, wait here. While Joshua and I go up the mountain, wait for us to come back to you. Aaron and Hur are with you, and we know what Aaron and Hur did. They built a golden calf, and they, and they led Israel astray. But Joshua was on the mountain. In Exodus chapter 33, when Moses pitches his tent, that's where he prays. He meets with God. The glory cloud would come down as God spoke to Moses face to face. And then Moses would leave the tent. But the Bible says in verse 11 that Moses' servant Joshua, the son of Nun, the young man, did not depart from the tabernacle. Joshua was a man that knew his God. And young people that know their God are powerful. Thank you, Jesus. College-age students, high school students, junior high students that know Jesus are powerful in their generation. Thirdly, the Joshua generation is a generation that refuses to yield to the enemy in fear and compromise. 
In the book of Numbers, chapter 14, Joshua and Caleb were sent out with, the, with 12 spies. They were two of them. And they went into the land and they collected fruit and they collected harvest. They stole it, really, to bring it back to, to show the rest of Israel what kind of land Israel was. And they brought back figs and grapes and all kinds of things. But they also said this, there's giants in the land. We cannot go there. But in Numbers chapter 14, the Bible says that Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, they tore their clothes. And they spoke to all the congregation and said, the land we passed through to spy out is a good land. If the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us into the land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. But don't rebel against the Lord and don't fear the people of the land. For those giants, those people are our bread. He was saying, we're going to eat them. (laughs) Their protection has departed from them. And the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. And all the congregation wanted to stone Joshua and Caleb. Do you see the fearlessness that is in Joshua and Caleb? This is the Joshua generation. And along with that, They don't compromise. They don't look at giants and shake in their boots and say, oh, we can't do this. And church, I declare to you that we can reach the next generation. We can overcome. We're going to watch God do incredible things. Finally, the Joshua generation is the generation of courage. All through his life, Joshua, God told Joshua, be of good courage. And when he took the armies after Moses' death, he was older at that point. He had wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. He was... He was... uh, near 80, when he became the leader of, uh, on his own. And God spoke to Joshua and said, Have I not commanded you, be strong and of good courage? And I'm speaking this to every single person here this morning. As you face the giants you face, as you face your situations and your circumstances, You are not alone. The Lord is on your side. Jesus has said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Paul said, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. You have all the commands. You have all the promises of the New Testament. Christ lives in you if you are a believer. It's a great mystery that that physically Christ is in heaven, but by his spirit, he dwells in me. And that's the hope of glory, that Jesus lives in me. And if Christ lives in me, who has conquered death, hell, and the grave, 
then, then what, what giant can stand in my way that cannot fall? The Joshua generation is courageous. Hallelujah. And they watched. Did they fail? Yes, they failed. We have their stories of how they failed. But when they failed, they got up again. And as they walked through the land, they conquered giants. They destroyed peoples. And God gave them wholly the land of Israel, the land of promise that he told them that he would give to them. Because Joshua stood up in courage. Praise God. The Joshua generation. And I feel like the devil has been fighting so hard. We have seen a shifting in the last 10 years even. The last five years, we have seen a shifting in how the enemy is, has gotten in his shots. How the enemy has stolen. How the enemy has destroyed how the enemy has, has uh, changed mindsets and thinking and all different kinds of things in, in America. We, our young people do not live in the same America that even existed 10 years ago. It is different. But friends, the story is not over yet. The last chapter has not been written yet. Believers ought not hang their head Young people are laying their lives down for Jesus. Hallelujah. Young people are standing up for the truth of the Word of God. Young people are embracing the things of His Spirit. Young people, Timothy's and Joshua's and Caleb's, they are rising up in, in this hour and in this time and they are drawing a line in the sand and they, they are saying, you can, you can live however you want, but as for me, I'm going to live for God. They are doing it right now and there is coming a movement, a, a backlash, if you will, of what the enemy has done and uh, the, the greater one is about to stand up and take back our young people. The Joshua generation. They will not have the same methodologies as you and I have. They will not do things the same way. But they will love the same Jesus. And they will serve the same God. The same God. I want us to take a moment. And I want us to... To just, it's a 11.35. I would like us to, to take five minutes here and pray for the next generation. And pray that God would work and move in our sons and in our daughters. And have his way. Amen. I felt the Lord... I know that this, this message is very different. It's not a self-help kind of a message. Three steps on how to overcome poverty. It's not, not a self-help kind of a message. But I'm praying that God would put the next generation in your heart. I'm praying that God would cause your heart 
to rejoice even though you don't understand the next generation, to rejoice at what God is doing and the potential of the next generation. To have a heart like his, the Father's heart. Jesus let the children come around him. The rabbis had taught them not to do that. Children are unimportant. But Jesus let the children come around him and he laid his hands on them and he pronounced blessing upon them because he understood the Father's heart for the next generation. Jesus, I'm remembering when I was a young man and I'm remembering Not just my pastors, Pastor Paul, Pastor John, Pastor Scott, that came up around me. But there were many, many others. I remember a midnight conversation. I can't even remember his name, but he was in the church counting money late, and I was there praying. And I got in a conversation with him. And he poured into me. He was in his 70s. I, a teenager. You raised him up to impart into my life. God, the many, many, many people that poured into me. And I say thank you for that. I say thank you. God, I pray that in this body that you will do a supernatural work. God, you've already done it in the hearts of many. There are spiritual moms and dads all over this room. But I am asking that it would increase amongst us. Our heart for the next generation. I pray, God, that you would lay the burden of the next generation upon us. Not to be critics. Not to be judges but God, to have a heart of compassion for the next generation. God, I thank you for the the Derricks and the Izzies in this house. I thank you for the Faiths and the Carters. God, I thank you for the Grahams and the Garrisons and the And the grandchildren that are here because grandpa brings them. God, I thank you for our kids standing in the back, not really knowing how to enter into worship this morning, but there they were in your presence.
a whole row of kids that are back in children's church right now. God, I thank you for college students, people in their young 20s, mid-20s, that you have blessed this house with. Thank you, God, for the generations mixing. And I ask God that, that like Moses and Aaron and her, that you would give us a heart for the generations that, that is under us, that is in the valley fighting the battles of this life, fighting Amalek that's trying to steal, kill, and destroy. There is a generation that has been where you are that is praying and lifting up their hands over you. God, I pray that the heart for the next generation will arise, the Joshua generation. Not a generation of those that are perfect and never make mistakes. They never fall and they never sin. God, that's not who we're expecting our young people to be. But God, we are believing you for the Joshua generation to rise up in this house in the name of Jesus. God, I'm thanking you for strategies on how we can reach young people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm thanking you, God, for personnel that you are partnering with us and giving to us. God, that, that is skilled at reaching the next generation. Hallelujah. And God, I thank you for, for a group of seniors in this house that worship and are after you with their whole heart, whose hearts are increasingly for the next generation. If you're a Paul in this room, in the relationship of Paul and Timothy, just want you right now before the Lord, just to lift up your hand to the Lord. You might be in your senior years. God, is, as, as these Pauls lift up their hands before God, I pray that you would give them Timothys to impart into. I thank you for the anointing of the Holy Spirit on their lives. God, to encourage, to bless, and to speak into the next generation. God, I thank you for giving them the heart of the Father in Jesus' mighty name. Praise God. Praise God.